Welcome to Policy Pod, PORF podcast. The Ideas Factory is an exclusive series by ORF that delves into the big geopolitical events that affect India and the world. Hello and welcome to the Ideas Factory. I'm Nakma joining me is Professor Harsh Pant. On this episode of the Ideas Factory, we would be looking at Prime Minister Narendra Modi's Europe visit. How important was it? What did India achieve? And the timing of the visit. Very warm welcome to you, Harsh. I would like to begin uh, by asking you the significance of this three-day tour to the three nations, three European nations that the Prime Minister undertook. He's now back from this uh, trip. And uh, the, the, the kind of engagement that we've seen between India and Europe in the past few weeks has been very encouraging. There has been a lot of high-level visits from European leaders to India as well. Um, and uh, now the Prime Minister has just completed his trip, which is uh, which has been quite successful. So I would like to understand, what's the difference in India's engagement with the West this time? And um, this change is happening at a time when uh, Europe is in the middle of a crisis in terms of Russia-Ukraine war. Uh, there is a war in the heart of Europe. At the same time, the Prime Minister visits three European nations. How significant is that? And what's different in the engagement this time? Uh, thanks, Nangma. You know, uh, I think the fact that this visit happened at this particular point in time, uh, where the uh, Prime Minister was in three key countries of Europe and was able to articulate India's position so categorically, uh, is uh, in and of itself, uh, I think, an achievement or, or a big deal. Because clearly, diplomats, uh, political leaders don't undertake foreign visits if the differences on certain issues are quite palpable. And this is a moment when, uh, you know, we know that uh, India and the European Union, India and, and Europe diverge on Ukraine. There is, uh, you know, there, there are uh, challenges in the way we are addressing this question uh, and there are bilateral uh, differences of opinion uh, and the two countries are trying to work their way around those differences. So the fact that Prime Minister was able to articulate those differences uh, in these countries uh, is, is, is in itself something that I think underscores uh, the changing realities of global politics and the changing uh, tone of India-Europe relations. India-EU relations, uh, despite uh, all the talk of, uh, of liberal values of democratic societies, had always been underwhelming. Uh, you know, we, we partly because European Union... Uh, openly articulated that it does not want to do geopolitics, it, is, it does not want to do balance of power politics, uh, and its self-identity as a normative power meant that there was always more focus, ironically, on India's developmental democratic challenges than on the opportunities that a country like India provides to European Union. And so, uh, again, in an ironic twist, India and yeah. China, sorry, Europe and China uh, had a much more robust relationship than India uh, and European Union. And I think now that things are changing, now that things are evolving, uh, now that, uh, you know, there is a balance of power, uh, uh, you know, shift in global politics, there is an Indo-Pacific uh, uh, new reality evolving in the Indo-Pacific, it's the center of gravity of global politics, is in the Indo-Pacific. I think India and European Union both 
uh, are trying to work out a new arrangement. They are both trying to work out a new engagement. Uh, and that means that uh, for both the countries, there is a new strategic reality that has to be accommodated, that has to be engaged with. And therefore, uh, you know, the, the, the tone of the conversation has changed, where the idea is that despite our differences on Ukraine, we will continue to look at the big picture. We will continue to look at the strategic picture and we will continue to work towards it. Sure. So what has caused the shift in this outreach by the West? Uh, we've seen there has been an outreach by the West. Is it the increasing realization how, you know, uh, how important the Indo-Pacific is or uh, the center of power is uh, strategically shifting towards the Indo-Pacific uh, and India's important role here in, in India's strategic significance in this area. And uh, you were mentioning China and the rise of China and how um, Europe and China were uh, coming together. But then there is an incre increasing realization of uh, of the threat that is emanating from China in terms of uh, of trade and on other aspects. So what are the different causes that is actually causing this, this shift in uh, the approach? Uh, I think that, you know, there are, there are two things. Uh, one is certainly the, uh, you know, the, the changing nature of, of global politics, where Indo-Pacific is the center of gravity of global politics and economics. And in the Indo-Pacific, uh, you know, Indo-Pacific won't be Indo-Pacific uh, without India. So India is, is, is at the heart of this debate. India is at the heart of this discussion. And therefore, uh, Europe wants to engage with India, uh, partly also because of the wider disillusionment that has set in because of China. You know, there was a time when there was a lot of optimism about China. There was a lot of optimism about China becoming more like the West. Uh, but today that, uh, that has been set aside. China is posing uh, challenges of the kind that I think uh, very few in the Western world anticipated. And those challenges are making uh, the West, uh, in particular European Union, aware uh, of, uh, you know, uh, of the kind of uh, the shift that is happening in global politics. And if European Union is not to lose, you know, its relevance, it has to play a certain kind of a role in the evolving balance of power. So I think gone are the days of, of uh, saying that we don't do geopolitics or we don't do balance of power politics. Europe is increasingly involved in the evolving balance of power debate, evolving balance of power engagements. And I think that is something that is that is shifting the narrative in, in Europe. Uh, the other, of course, is that, you know, Europe itself uh, is trying to uh, figure out its own new identity at a time when great power politics is at its doorstep. Uh, you know, when it is not simply about China rising in the Indo-Pacific, it is mm -hmm. Russia challenging European Union, Russia challenging Europe on its very doorsteps. So I think once again, you have a situation where that, you know, that self-created identity of a normative power is not enough to push back against these vulnerabilities that have been created by Russia on the one hand and China on the other. And therefore, for European Union, it's, it's a moment to come out of its shell. It's a moment to declare its ambitions uh, much more openly. And it's a moment to, to revise its, its, its uh, force posture. And I think one of the most remarkable transformations with, uh, has been in Germany, a country that had, uh, sure. you know, uh, post-Second World War, uh, uh, was trying to constrain itself as a strategic actor 
today is revising its national security doctrines, revising its foreign policy posture, which is going to have remarkable long-term effects on global politics. But that's where we are at this. This is a particularly uh, important moment in the evolution of European Union with what is happening in Russia, uh, with, with Russia and what is happening with China and what is happening in the Indo-Pacific. So I think if you combine these factors, you see a long-term shift in European Union's position, its, its, its posture, and in growing uh, relevance of India in that posture. That if, if you have to look at things strategically, if you have to look out at the trends over the long term, then India is going to play a pivotal role. India is going to be an important factor in the evolution of the, of the, of, of, of the structural realities. And of course, the way India has played its cards, the way India has, has been able to articulate the role uh, of a nation that is uh, that is a responsible global stakeholder that is not out there to disrupt the system, that is there to uh, manage that disruption in, in the best way possible and contribute uh, to the to the balance of power to the emerging global governance architecture. I think all that has made it very clear to to European Union that India is going to be an important partner. And of course, India also has made it in, made its intent very clear that unlike in the past where there used to be certain defensiveness in engaging the West. Today, India is very pragmatic uh, and India is looking out for its interests. And if and the West is an important part of India's developmental story. Without West, uh, India would face enormous challenges and, and therefore engagement with the West, engagement uh, uh, with, the, with the Europe, but on its own terms. And yes. I think that, that's why we are seeing uh, a changing narrative, a change in foreign policy discourse in India, which is contributing contributing yeah. to India yes. yes, definitely a more confident approach and India is engaging with the world on its own terms and uh, India is a firm uh, on its own, on its stand, whether it is about the European crisis, I mean, the Russia-Ukraine crisis or uh, on many other issues. So there is a more self-confident India, um, which is uh, not trying to please anyone in the world, but also looking at its own interests. Uh, this, this trip that the Prime Minister undertook, the three-nation trip, uh, it has been a diplomatic success. The timing was very important, very significant. Uh, also, it was at a time when, uh, you know, the last country visited France, uh, President Macron's re-election. And after that, this was his first engagement with Prime Minister Modi again. So that itself has, is very significant. There is also the India Nordic Summit Harsh that took place. And that's very significant too. Not many people here in India especially know the importance of the Nordic countries and the kind of economy uh, that the Nordic these Nordic nations are. And they're quite sizable and the engagement. So there have been many tangible and intangible successes uh, that this um, European trip has yielded. So would you like to actually point out the significance of the Nordic Summit and what did we really achieve in terms of uh, what was the focus of this this trip in terms of any tangible gain? Yes, I think, uh, you know, in, in all three countries, if you look at Germany and uh, Denmark, uh, and along with the Nordic uh, uh, countries, uh, Council, uh, as well as France, uh, you have some very interesting agendas that, that were being played out. Uh, you know, France and Germany, of course, are leaders in European Union. And they did drive European Union agenda. France and Germany were the first two countries, along with Netherlands, that came out with the Indo-Pacific policy before European Union came out with Indo-Pacific policy. So, uh, so there is clearly, uh, you know, the engagement with France and Germany uh, also has to be looked at in its own terms. 
and 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 in, in both countries uh, there are new governments. Of course, Emmanuel Macron has been, just been elected, but even uh, even Mr. Scholz, the Chancellor in Germany, uh, is, mm -hmm. is new, and this was his first engagement, official engagement with India. Uh, India's uh, India-German Intergovernmental Council was that this was the you know. Uh, this was the first intergovernmental council meeting that Germany was having with any foreign country uh, after the, the the coming to office of of, uh, of Chancellor Scholz. So, so there is uh, certainly uh, you know a right moment for India to make its presence in these two countries. With Germany, we have seen a partnership which is evolving, uh, you know, in a, in in a manner that that is quite uh, interesting because Germany. Of course, is uh, as, as I was suggesting, is also changing track, is also emerging, trying to emerge as a strategic player. But if uh, you know, if with India, the focus has been on uh, you know green and sustainable partnership initiative that, that you know that that we have signed with Germany. We have signed mobility uh, agreement with Germany, professional mobility agreement, which is going to be very very important. Germany is a, is, is is a country where the, there are demographic challenges facing demographic challenges. They need, um, uh, you know, uh, professionals uh, in services sector, and India is clearly one country where they will they will be looking for. So I think as uh, you know, the, the priorities of Germany evolve as Germany looks uh, looks out for partners. Uh, India, with its you know, with its ability to serve some of some of these key industries, is going to be an important partner, and Germany will be an important partner when you look at India trying to uh, reduce its dependence on fossil fuels uh, and, you know, so the kind of sustainable sustainable energy partnership uh, hydrogen uh, partnership that india is is creating with with uh, with, uh, with germany is going to play a very important role and let's also not forget that one of the lessons that that europe and germany in particular is also learning from this crisis is not to have an over reliance on any one particular country on energy the kind they have on russia India is also a country that is also learning that uh, you know uh, you, do, you you do, you still don't want to have a, 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 a reliance on one particular country like Russia on defense. So I think there are similarities in their overviews, which I think converge very nicely. So we are looking at this partnership that has great potential in, in going forward, and Germany remains the economic powerhouse in Europe. With Nordic countries, uh, even Denmark, of course, we have seen great degree of bilateral traffic back and forth. Uh, at, at the highest levels in the last few years, and Denmark has been a key partner uh, in, in innovation and climate change uh, setup for us. So by expanding it, and this has been, I think, one of the uh, uh, you know new institutional mechanisms that India has created of having these regional conclaves, uh, whether it is in Central Central Asia, whether it is in Nordic countries, whether it's in Eastern European countries. So so there is an attempt to embed. Uh, bilateral relationships in larger regional frameworks, uh, which allows India to leverage uh, partnerships not simply with that particular country, but also with a larger group of countries, and in this case, Nordic Council. Nordic countries are extremely important uh, if, you, if you are thinking of the future of technology, if you are thinking of future of workforce, if you are thinking of how the climate debate, energy debate is transforming itself, research and innovation, and they are key centers. So I think having a, a strong partnership with them and a regular partnership, this was the second Nordic Council meeting that, that India was uh, undertaking, is a very important move to, to make sure that India has a footprint uh, in, in you know, most parts of the world. Sometimes uh, when you have bilateral visits, you miss out on other regional countries. But this is an important institutional mechanism which allows you to tap into other regional players as well. And I think India has, has done well in terms of tapping into the, the larger Nordic uh, ecosystem. 
And of course, France has been a traditional partner. France is a long-standing partner, one of our most important partners, uh, supportive of India on all global fora, uh, especially in the UN Security Council. France has been steadfast with India. So I think this was, uh, with, with France, I think the meeting was largely uh, on a personal level. If you think of uh, uh, Prime Minister Modi's personal relationships, I think uh, apart from Shinzo Abe, uh, Emmanuel Macron is, is, the, is the one leader that he shares a, a very, very close relationship with. So I think this was also about uh, just congratulating him on his visit and also to make it very clear that France remains a very important partner for India uh, as, as the two countries move forward. Both countries have a similar foreign policy vision which emphasizes strategic autonomy, which, uh, which does not want to do things under duress. Uh, and, and which emphasizes the role uh, of strategic independence and, 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 and that space that a, that a country needs to make its own judgments about its strategic choices. So I think uh, with France, the relationship which is all, already very strong with hardly any differences, the idea was to uh, once ago run, uh, emphasize uh, the continuity of this relationship. And let me also add that France perhaps is the only country that in, in Europe uh, that is continuing to uh, have regular dialogue with uh, with the Russian president. Just just yeah. a few days back, uh, Emmanuel Macron did call up uh, Vladimir Putin. So I think there are very few leaders apart from Macron and Mr. Modi who can call Mr. Putin at, at this juncture. And I think this, this would have been another moment for the two leaders to figure out you know, what is the, going to be the future direction of Ukraine, of Russia and of Europe uh, as uh, this, this war uh, continues to go into a stalemate and as the stakes continue to rise for Europe. Of course, in these meetings, Ukraine has come up uh, as, as a big agenda uh, that they talked about. Um, and um, lastly, Harsh, I mean, of course, it's very significant, but since we've been talking about Europe, but let's look at our neighbors. And there's a big crisis brewing here in uh, in Sri Lanka. And that's the cause of worry for India. This, this huge economic crisis that Sri Lanka is facing, of course, has now led to a state of emergency. And uh, it gives sweeping powers to the security forces there the, to, to curb the protest. The president has resorted to this. Uh, it has also affected, uh, you know, the uh, other neighboring countries like Nepal and Pakistan, and there has been, uh, uh, you know, the, the forex has uh, fallen. So all that is also a cause of worry for India. The situation in Sri Lanka is really volatile right now. Yeah, very, very, very serious situation, and I think uh, uh, an economic crisis that was mismanaged has now resulted. In a political crisis, a crisis of confidence in a, in a, in a, in a nation that was just a few years back doing so well. So I think, uh, you know, here is a cautionary tale for countries that, uh, and, you know, that you need constant monitoring of your, uh, of, of your economic agenda because uh, you know, clearly, uh, you know, if you don't address structural problems uh, as Sri Lankans were not able to do, uh, you really end up in a, in, a, in, a, in a very serious crisis. And not to acknowledge and take remedial actions at, at, at the right time uh, leads, to, leads to this challenge. And also, I think for, for political leaders, uh, this is a cautionary tale of how uh, you, know, you really cannot uh, turn away from, uh, taking diff from making difficult choices at critical junctures. But Sri Lanka is clearly a, a, a difficult situation for India, for the region. Uh, and as you are mentioning, we are seeing a cascading effect we are seeing uh, you know, countries like Nepal and Pakistan facing enormous problems. And both of these countries, in fact, all three countries uh, are also facing political challenges because of this. So this is a, you know, this is a, this is a situation where uh, India finds itself in, uh, where you have uh, you know, neighbors uh, 
facing enormous economic stress uh, and the, the likelihood that this economic challenge will transform itself into a political challenge, uh, which ultimately India will have to uh, figure out a response to. Now, India has done well in Sri Lanka by offering uh, some solid help uh, and trying to make it very clear that it stands by Sri Lanka and, and Sri Lankan people uh, and would want to ensure that everything is done uh, to um, uh, to make sure that, that Sri Lanka is able to uh, you know, wade through the crisis. But I think what is important here is also to underline that uh, for many Sri Lankan leaders, political leaders, there should also be a moment to reflect on the kind of strategic choices that they are making. You know, it can't be a situation that you keep on making, uh, you know, bad or, or, or suboptimal choices. And then uh, as a neighbor, India has to has to come in and, uh, you know, and, and help you out. Mm -hmm. Because that also creates its own set of costs for uh, for India and for the region. So I think uh, this, this is also a cautionary tale for for politicians uh, across the region, for political leaders across the region, uh, to be very sagacious as they as they try to make strategic choices, where they are getting their money from, where they are getting aid from, what kind of aid that is, how that aid is used within the country, and what kind of costs are associated with the, with that aid. Sometimes, uh, you know, they are uh, invisible costs which are not visible at the moment, but they they can have long term deleterious consequences. So I think an important moment both uh, in the evolution of not only Sri Lanka's economic wisdom, but also perhaps India's and the region's. Sure. It definitely, like you said, is a cautionary tale for India and countries around to make a sagacious choice um, as far as uh, getting these countries out of their economic crisis or the political turmoil is concerned. So all around India, the neighbors right now, in fact, there is political turmoil, there is economic emergency, and India is carefully watching these. Thank you so much for that analysis, Harshan. That's all from us on this episode of the Ideas Factory. And we will join you very soon on uh, another episode in uh, uh, probably uh, 15 days time from now. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you for tuning in to Policy Pod, the ORF podcast. Please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes.